this is Mike Dilt with the Relax Back UK show on UK Health Radio, your global real feel-good radio station. On the Relax Back UK show we explore all kinds of health topics, so keep listening and enjoy the ride. joining me Mike Dork on this week's Relax Back UK show. Now this show starts off with some bad news. Britain are number four in the obesity um, charts now, shall we call it that, World Health Organization, fourth most obese country in Europe, 63% of adults either overweight or obese. As a nation we are overweight. Nutritional therapist Amanda Hamilton suggests that we keep an eye on our own calorie intake as uh, one way to keep this in control. Then Rewilding. This is a really big topic now. So community orchards are really small. They're, community orchards is five trees or more. So, you know, they're very tiny spaces. And we, we often work, you know, along um, grass strips uh, on the edge of uh, social housing or in primary schools where there's, you know, just a little bit of edge, uh, green space on the, around, the, around the playground. I talked to Kath Rosen. She's CEO of the Orchard Project about rewilding, etc. Morris meant even get a mention so please do stick around for a great show thank you UK Health Radio the station that makes you feel good it used to be hard to find the world's most wonderful alcohol free drinks not anymore whether it's a health thing a lifestyle thing, or you're trying new things. Make sure you save yourself from the guessing game of the supermarket shelves and shop with zerozilchzip.co.uk for the world's most carefully curated range of alcohol-free beers, wines, spirits, and more. Health Radio listeners can save 5% with the code HEALTH5. Visit zerozilchzip.co.uk or click our banner on the UK Health Radio website. Discover alcohol freedom with Zero Zilch Zip. Because nothing's better. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. I really enjoyed chatting with my first guest today. That's Amanda Hamilton. She's a nutritional therapist and she spends time educating people about food and also helping them to change habits. That's the key here. If we can get out of bad, food and eating habits, then we have a good chance of eating more healthily, I think. But the overall topic topic is calories, calorie counting, and uh, wondering if people really know the kind of calorie content of the foods they eat. However, I started by asking Amanda what the difference is between a dietitian and a nutritionist. So dietitian traditionally is trained more within the NHS framework of managing someone with an illness or a condition. So if you had colitis, you'd be seeing a dietitian, um, whereas nutrition and all its different realms, you've got nutrition, nutritional therapy, naturopathy, natural medicine, functional medicine is all about if you like the focus is getting ahead and getting proactive about health and preventing uh, disease and illness but the two often cross over I can understand the confusion nutrition is a relatively new science in many ways we've had you know physics chemistry and biology dominating and then along came nutrition so it's 
taking um, you know lots of twists and turns, but then the day everyone's interested in nutrition, so the more the merrier. Everyone needs to eat, right? Everyone needs to eat. Okay, so what? what so a nutritionist and a nutritional therapist are they different? They are different, but it's more nuanced. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, let, 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 let's part that. Just one further thing. So dietitians have a professional body. Okay. So if you talk to a dietitian, you can. So I, I'm a civil engineer. I'm a member of my professional body. Dietitians are the same. Because nutritionists have accredited bodies. Yes. They do. And so what, what is the accredited body? So, again, it depends on whether you're a nutritional therapist. That's the British Association of Nutritional Therapy. And then you can be a registered nutritionist. And then there's Nutrition Society and then British Dietetics or Dietitians, BDA, I think it is for them. So there is many accredited bodies and there are different branches of it. So as soon as you have an accreditation and you have to go through that, you have, in other words, to qualify for insurance to practice, you have to have an accredited training. Sure. So you're a a member of one of these professional bodies. You're you're a member of BANT, are you? Yes. A member of, so that's. BANT, everyone calls it BANT, British Association for Nutritional Therapy, yes. British Association for Nutritional Therapy. All right. Thank you. That's always I, I it's always worth asking because I get confused. Everyone gets confused. So if I look you up on the BANT website, you'll be there. If I registered, if I put myself as public, I'm very public anyway with what I do. It, it yeah. might be, I can't remember whether I'm you look on their website and see my name. I don't always want that to be the case, but yes. Sure. Yeah, but course, okay. All right, all right. Let let's get on with the the main topic, which is um, calories, which is another area where there can be kind of uh, misunderstandings. It seems a lot of us aren't really sure what foods might be high in calories or 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 otherwise. Is that is that your kind of your thoughts? What you find? Well, I think in the realms of nutrition, we've got calories is almost like first past the post, isn't it? It's like the information, the basic information that tells us about the the energy contained within a food. And I think one of the things that this research that we're talking about today has highlighted is the confusion, the calorie confusion and the foods that tend to create that calorie confusion, the massive gap in awareness about how many calories people are eating with different foods. Within that, of course, we can drill down into the nutritional value of the, cal- the the foods that contain those calories. So there's kind of two separate subjects, isn't there? But the first past the post that I said is the fact that this research has shown, it was uh, my fitness pal created this research, um, that there is a huge gulf in awareness about calorie content of, let's just call them everyday foods. So yeah. a good example, large portion of fish and chips, estimated to be 388 calories but it's nearer a thousand calories and there's probably about 20 odd of these listed here simple things caesar salads prawn sandwich standard bar milk chocolate now of course we all know that these are not nutritionally superior foods but the point is a lot of people are eating this sort of diet in the uk and now we're labeled as number four in the obesity charts, which is not a chart we want to be at the top of when it comes not to you. really. So yeah, just, just going back to the calories, I mean, there's an amount that is recommended uh, for men and women to eat per day. Yeah. Uh, which is probably a bit of a blunt instrument. But, but what is that? So 2,000 for women, 2,500 for men. And as you say, it is a blunt instrument because if you're 
six foot three versus five foot three, or if you're training for a marathon, or if you have a sedentary lifestyle, there's there are of course many variables to that. So there is there is that piece having that awareness. But sadly, a lot of the foods that we drastically underestimate the calorie content of are also the type that will lead to or contribute to obesity. Yeah. Do you, do you think that's because people sort of lie to themselves or because they really don't know? Because I'm quite I'm quite good at pulling the wool over my own eyes. You know, it's a great question, actually, a very insightful question. I think. One of the problems with these foods is that they're not naturally satiating. A lot of the foods that we're, we're talking about here, they're not naturally filling. They don't um, trigger the, the feelings of fullness that other whole foods do or certain types of foods. So high fiber foods make you feel fuller for longer. I think most people know that protein is very satiating. But if you're having a bar of milk chocolate, you're estimating, according to this research, 187 calories. It's more like 260 calories, but it's also not going to do much for you in terms of filling you up. In fact, sure. it might yeah. even, you know, it's Five one minutes pop, later, you'll be hungry again. One pop can't stop type foods. You yeah. know, they're, they're designed that way. Right. So it's a lot of the confusion is around those sorts of foods. Now, you can have a little bit more of a virtuous cycle and say, OK, I'm going to look at calories, as I said, first past the post, it's a great thing. And then you could go down to the level of nutrients and say, OK, I need to have um, some nuts and seeds because that's going to give me some zinc and selenium in my day. Uh, there's, you know, there's other things you can go into the detail of, which is great. But ultimately, the fact that we have this massive gulf in understanding around the calories of everyday foods, I think is a serious problem. And it does need to be talked about. It, it certainly needs to be talked about but are you actually kind of surprised are you really surprised that people don't really know either they don't know or they're fooling themselves at how many how many calories are in certain foods like so as yeah, i mean yeah are you surprised well, listen, i think it's because we we eat for many reasons we eat for many reasons um for for pleasure for hunger for boredom but when you are consuming foods that are high in calories but not going to fill you up and you're not tracking that or becoming aware of that, then that definitely leads you down a certain path, doesn't it? it can, there's, there's a result that's likely to happen at the end of that road. Um, and, it's, and it's not an easy result. It's, it's, not a, it's not a happy, healthy result. So no. do, are, is it wool over the eyes? I think it's, it's more nuanced than that. Again, I think it is about... Um, having that awareness more awareness more accountability perhaps but still having fun in there i think people have to be able to genuinely enjoy their food otherwise no one's going to stick to anything right yeah i i just kind of think all right so i when i say i think i haven't thought about it as much as you all right but i'm just wondering is it the right question you know how many calories are in that pint of beer is that the right question? Because realistically, no one's going to know. You know, well, if, if no, you get well, people to think a little more simply, is that beer good for you? Should you be drinking too much of that? People probably know the answer to that. Well, the first part of what you said there was people won't know how many calories are, are in the beer. There are very simple ways to do that, right? You just need to track it. There are free apps. My fitness pal does it. I use it. In, in my day-to-day -day life there are 
ways to do that that are no cost, zero cost to the individual. So yes, that data, if you like, that awareness used to be something that there was a huge amount of barriers to do. Now that's no longer the case. So we can take that one as something that everyone has access to, zero cost. I think these things are really important because nutrition can become a bit elitist in some ways about how you're eating and what you're eating. But the reality is everyone has access to that and everyone has access to that data. And these these guidelines about calorie consumption in the day, they are guidelines, as you say, you know, they're, they're a bit of a blunt instrument. But you'll certainly know if you're going... 100% over your guidelines if you start tracking you know there, there there's a realm of catchment that we can get into now alcohol is a bit of a special um subject yeah maybe that's a bad example because you know once once you've had a couple of pints you don't think as, exactly. you, as straight as you have that been, was yeah. exactly my thought you, you know you, you tend to you're in a different state then aren't you and then yeah. you make different decisions based on that state but but I think there's there, of course there's lots Listen, there's endless uh, discussions about nutrition and the way that we should be doing things. This is really looking at the, the basics and the data that helps you make some decisions within a day to keep you within the realm of a, a framework and also just building education around on-the-go eating. So if you become aware, wow, I thought that sandwich was actually just spot on for me, but actually... It's not doing much in terms of or having twice as many calories as I thought I was going to have. But also maybe you'll learn about the nutritional value of it and think, I'd be better making this at home. Yes, you probably would be, quite frankly. You're always better off making it at home, probably. But so I, I you haven't I haven't must admit you, you haven't um, totally persuaded me, because I think if, if you're thinking about how many calories are in each thing you eat, you end up kind of obsessing about food. And I, I'm not sure that's terribly healthy. I mean, you, you've got to eat food, obviously. We all eat food to stay alive. But if you're like worrying the whole time about food you eat, uh, and, you know, if you just keep it simpler, uh, is, is this healthy or not? I mean, OK, you might not get the amount of calories exactly right, but I just can't help thinking simpler is sometimes a bit better. I'm just, I'm just oh. trying to prod you a little bit, really. No, so no. Think. Mike, listen, in an ideal world... What you are suggesting is correct. You could sit there and cook at home with whole natural ingredients, real food. If you can't pronounce what it says in the label, should you be eating it type of situation? Um, and if yeah, you it looks like a chemistry set that exactly. you give your kid for breakfast, so don't eat it. If the reality was everyone here in the UK was doing that, then there would be far and less need for this discussion. I agree with the point that you're making there. But that's not the reality. That's not the world we're living in. And that's not the diet that lots of people here and elsewhere in the world are eating. So therefore, we have to approach the real situation rather than the situation perhaps is nicer to imagine. It's not the reality. Britain are number four in the obesity um, charts now, shall we call it that, World Health Organization, Fourth most obese country in Europe, 63% of adults either overweight or obese. And then there was some new information come out about the, the dramatic rise in obesity for young children as well in that reception year in England. I don't actually have the press release in front of me. I was just on another news programme and it came up. Um, so we're used to this. Almost probably some of these obesity stats bounce off some people. because It's like, yeah, we've heard that all before. 
But when it's in your own home, when it's in your own life, when it's your own child, when it's your own body, let's try to find ways to make at least some things about it a little bit easier. We can't judge every meal that you eat based solely on calories. Of course you can't. But it is the simplest measure to track, actually. So in your experience, do you find people that you help actually do this will actually, you know, get their phone out and look up their meal plug it in the app or whatever and actually go through this uh, process will people actually do that so what I find Mike is that in the beginning of someone trying to transition to being healthier with that idea in mind it's a really useful tool especially in the beginning to get them started because they build up that awareness so that gap in knowledge that we've this been highlighted with this research yeah. is is closed like ah now I know what that is now I know what that is not um, gosh, I didn't realise that I could eat so much of that and there's hardly any calories in it, plus it's, ha- it's highly nutritious. So there's that learning on the job piece, which has really helped with an app. And then it's kind of a dip in and out type of situation. It's in the pocket. You might just check it when you're having something unfamiliar. Um, sure. Or if you are just having a salad, of course, you wouldn't really necessarily go and track all that. Why would you? It's, it's vegetables. It's more those sorts of foods where the confusion tends to reign or where there's a barcode. You know, we mentioned the the labels. If you can't pronounce what it says in the label, you probably shouldn't be having it. Those sorts of foods, you can just scan the barcode and it will give you all the nutritional information. It's actually really handy. And I'm not a kind of particularly tech savvy person. I'm, you know, not a data head. I, I am much more of an intuitive eater. And still I use it actually more in the macro side. Tracking macros can be quite good as well but that's that's a whole nother subject okay all right so i i guess each to their own take some advice do this if you want but try to avoid um kind of obsessing and getting really worried and making a note of every little thing you eat because that's probably not good for you and might even drive your family nuts as well yeah i don't think anyone would would really say that that's that's what this is all about yeah it's about increasing awareness there you know it's diet agnostic there's no nothing suggested within these trackers as to what you should or shouldn't eat it's literally just there as a tool that makes nutritional information much more accessible and usable um and and as i said it is that first past the post piece but when you start to understand the statistics it is where we are going wrong in terms of looking at the volume of food that people are eating and obviously then there's a separate discussion on quality of food. But personally, I find that as soon as you build awareness and accountability a little bit, not yeah. obsession, accountability, um, that you, you, know, you have this kind of thing in your pocket, it does help. It does help change behaviours. Now, each to their own, as you say, I'm a big fan of that, Mike. That that yeah. is the right. That's the only approach to take because everyone is an individual anyway. You know, no one's going to dictate how someone should live. Yeah. Well, I've I've never tried really to change anyone's behaviour in what they eat. So you know, kind of over to you. That's not my. But one one other thing that I want to ask you about in in the, in the same press release that there was this thing about drinking water. Yes. Dr- so my question for you: Does does drinking eight glasses of water a day really help with weight loss? How? It's not about weight loss. That's about hydration. If someone is hydrated, then they're more likely to um, 
not you know prevent headaches they're more likely to concentrate well and there can be a confusion between hunger and hydration if someone's dehydrated they might they might reach for food when they're not actually needing it but hydration is is about so much more this is not about just weight loss it's about hydration is a is a kind of core bar if you like to reach okay you know, another good way to track hydration really really simple when you wake up in the morning your urine will be dark because you're a bit dehydrated through the day keep your urine straw colored that's so, well, hydrated yeah all right a, 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 a couple of things there i'm glad you said uh okay it's not associated with losing weight because i i because I, I said i'm an engineer i like i like you know proof i would have said right where where's the paper where's the proof no. yeah okay uh, but then also when it when it comes to being thirsty thirsty when our, our body is kind of pretty tremendous i know when i'm thirsty and i have a drink so i don't force myself to drink and I, I I I see people like or practically forcing themselves to drink, and that seems a bit weird as well. Surely, just drink when you're thirsty. Is that is that not the way to go? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. There's a lot in that. Um, I think it's a lot of the the discussion around hydration is more on the fact, to be honest, Mike, that there are foods that are dehydrating. So if you have this, ah. say this sandwich, right, or a bowl of cereal that you don't think contains any salt, and actually it contains a reasonable amount of salt. Salt is going to dehydrate you to a degree. Um, there are hydrating foods. Think about watermelon. Think about salad vegetables. They contain water. It's not always about drinking water. It's about what is contained in the food that can either be dehydrating or can work to count towards your hydration. Um, so a lot of people become dehydrated because of the type of food that they eat, the, the ultra-processed food that they eat or the takeaways that they're not aware what's in it, rather than, you know, missing out some glasses of water. So dehydration is associated, you know, a problem that's associated, or a state that's associated with certain diets. And then, of course, we've got changes in the environment. If you're in an office that, can, you know, that's, that's got a lot of air conditioning, that's, that can be dehydrating. Sweating in summer, dehydrating. But as you say, the cue... Um, from your body because thirst it should it should work um, again that's a sort of first past the post type situation but when food is laced with salt because it's processed and it's not hydrating in and of itself it's um there can be an issue there okay all right very good all right so we, we've covered a couple of things if, if people are listening to this and thinking hmm goodness actually I've no idea how many calories are in this pint of beer or this sandwich I've just eaten and they are thinking right I would like to try and get on top of this find out a bit more um what's a good resource now you you mentioned an app um tell us a bit more about resources where people can uh, educate themselves about this stuff so I'm a great fan of anything that levels a playing field somewhat so my fitness pal is a free app um and it's and then you get uh, tons of use in terms of just being able to understand what you're eating what the calorie content is, what the nutritionals are. So that would be the go-to. That is the number one app, basically, in terms of usage in the UK and actually globally. Um, so have a have a shot. What have you got to lose? You're not. You're Absolutely. not. It's not costing. So you how, how, how does that work? Can you can you use this with your phone to scan the sandwich you just bought? Yes, you can. It does barcodes, or you can input 
um, foods that make up your meal. Right. And then what you can do, what I do is I'll save like, so I'll often have foods assembled in a different, you know, like maybe, I don't know, two eggs and half an avocado and whatever it is. And that can be saved as a, as a meal that you often have. So you, in other words, you don't always have to input the foods. You just have your, your routine foods and it will always save as you go along. Okay. Um, you can then, if you wanted, you can then set goals, go into the more premium one. But premium, you're talking like £15 a month. It's not a huge ask for most people as a really, really efficient, helpful resource. So the way that I see it is it's clear from the stats that we need to do something. I would love there to be, you know, more input from the government, education, looking at the cost of food, accessibility of health. I mean, there's so that's much. A, that's another show. I'd love to have enough time. So, Amanda, if you were the boss. Oh, my you, gosh. Yes. What would you do? <laughs> I have lots of ideas on that. But let's start with something that is basically free on your phone. Very, very easy to use and actually gives you some data that helps you inform your decisions. What you make, how you make those decisions is up to you, but at least there's awareness and information. A lack of information is part of the problem. Okay. All right. For people that like to, uh, uh, info and to analyse, uh, it's all there for you. I might just stick to kind of thinking carefully to myself, is that healthy or not? Um, but maybe I'll be back asking you for advice in, in, uh, in more time. And I do like this idea of um, maybe uh, when Amanda's in charge, what are we going to do? What what will the government do? Perhaps we'll part that and save that for an, an, another time. I would love to invite Amanda back at some stage to talk about the changes she would make when she's in charge. Some kind of benign dictator, maybe. Um, and this actually is pretty serious because I think there is a real population with a real problem, rather, with the population being a uh, overweight and you know what I'm included in that I could easily shed a couple of stone and uh, it would be a lot better for me I would be a lot healthier if I did I think now if any of you are experts in other areas any particular areas and would like to be on the show uh, and to, to tell me about them to tell everyone about them uh, do let me know I'm always keen for interesting uh, guests with uh, good stories to tell Probably the best way to contact me is via my email. And my email is mike at relaxbackuk.com. UK Health Radio. The station that makes you feel good. It used to be hard to find the world's most wonderful alcohol-free drinks. Not anymore. Whether it's a health thing a lifestyle thing, or you're trying new things. Make sure you save yourself from the guessing game of the supermarket shelves and shop with zerozilchzip.co.uk for the world's most carefully curated range of alcohol-free beers, wines, spirits and more. Health Radio listeners can save 5% with the code HEALTH5. Visit zerozilchzip.co.uk or click our banner on the UK Health Radio website. Discover alcohol freedom with Zero Zilch Zip. Because nothing's better. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. good, 
My next guest is equally interesting and wonderful. She's Kathy Rosen, CEO of The Orchard Project. And when I spoke to her, she wasn't in a nice, cosy, comfy studio somewhere. She was uh, calling me live from Trafalgar Square. And I think uh, from the background noise, it was a little bit chaotic and it took us a bit of time to, to settle into the chat. But do bear with it. It's a great one. Right. I had, them, had the earphones the wrong way around. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> On the, what, the left was in the right? Yes. I know. I can hear you better now. Okay. All right. That didn't... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I won't ask any questions about the strangeness of your ears. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> no, they are in my ears, though. That's the, Good. That's the, that's main, the main thing. thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Good, right. Well, look, let, let's let's crack on. We've got a few minutes to have a gossip about um, rewilding and Trafalgar Square. So good. Right. So my my guest now is uh, Kath Rosen, and she's CEO of the Orchard Project, and she's actually talking to me right now from Trafalgar Square, and the topic is rewilding. So I guess first question, Kath, got to be what's going on in Trafalgar Square? Well, you would not believe what's happening here. It's it, Trafalgar Square is now a green oasis. There are, there are thousands of plants everywhere. It's like a little garden has, has sprung up here. Um, there's a fifth lion, which is uh, a green lion. Um, and there's just lots and lots of people looking around with massive smiles on their faces, just really enjoying everything that's here. Okay, so skip, skipping through the garden makes people smile, for, for sure. And there's, there's a lot of talk about rewilding in the media and actually a while ago it was even part of the storyline on the archers i think wasn't it yes i know they, they really you know they they're always there with the the, the top the top projects to get involved with and rewilding is, is definitely something that we need to be doing as many places as we can okay so what is it what is it what's rewilding well rewilding yeah. is basically like creating space for nature and as you know we, we all know we're in the middle of a, a nature and a climate emergency at the moment we, and this is something very tangible that that we can do um to help bring nature back um and improve biodiversity okay so i, I did a bit of uh, snooping around on the internet before chatting to you actually and I, I learned that 70% of the land in the UK is kind of, is agricultural. So sort of yeah. we need that, we need food. So the question is, 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 there, is there enough space to do a load of re, re, rewilding? I can't say it. Do you need a lot of space? We do need space, yes. And um, I think it's, that's a, I mean, we get, I'll get a lot of angry farmers sort of messaging me, but, but we, do, we, need, we need to use more of that space for rewilding as a species. Otherwise, you know, it's, it's game over, I think, for humans on this planet. And um, you know, it's it, there's a there's a bigger issue here about our food systems and how we how we make uh, make the food and how sustainable it is and what we're eating. So I think all, you know these are all massive questions which uh, you know, people are people need to put some more energy into and urgently as well. Well, I mean, it's very topical at the moment. I mean, with the war in Ukraine, there's a bit of a squeeze. Well, we're not feeling it yet, but I'm sure. We will. Other countries, we're going to feel it before us, maybe. There's a squeeze on food production. So I'm sure lots of people might be thinking, hang on a moment, just 17% of agricultural land. We need to get working to make food. We can't be rewilding. Well, I mean, I think we need to, yeah, I mean, it's this is a big topic and uh, possibly a bit, <laughs> can't, can't go into all of the all of the sure. ins and outs without kind of <laughs> but uh yeah i mean there's there's a lot of land which we need to rethink how we how we use 
um, yep. especially around dairy and meat. You know, we, we, those are some of the most significant causes of climate change. And we really need to, to rethink, you know, as a, as a species, as for the whole planet, what we're eating, what we're planting, how we're using the land. Um, we can't carry on as we are. You know, it's just we're, we're not going to survive as a things. Things will not survive. People will not survive. What, what, what about moving on to a topic which might be a bit closer to what's happening in Trafalgar Square and urban rewilding? You know, there, yes. You know, tell us a bit about that. Yeah. So that that's something that I can talk a bit more authentically about because uh, the charity that I run, we specifically plant in urban areas. So. Don't kill me farmers, please. But um, yeah, so in urban spaces, it's really, really important to bring back as much nature as possible. And um, so the, the vision of my charity, The Orchard Project, is that everyone in urban areas is within walking distance of a well-cared-for community orchard. And community orchards are amazing spaces to have so many different species. You can incorporate ponds, wildlife, uh, meadows, hedges. They're, they're really amazing places to, to create wildlife in cities. And um, I think, you know, not, not just for, for the improving biodiversity, but it's, it's the benefits that us as humans get in cities to have access to green. And even, you know, when you see a, if you, even in your, if you're in the middle of London and you see a, a little dandelion, you know, growing, it can give you spark a little bit of joy. But I think, you know, if our, our aim would be to have as many places as possible covered in this, in, in plants, really. Okay, well, I mean, what's the process? Because I, I thought about doing this on, on, on the street where I live. Right. So doing it, well, uh, but do, doing some like gorilla planting and just planting right. some trees. But I, I have a suspicion that that would really irritate the council. Because, um, you know, the council have to look after these things. They just come and chop them down. So what's the process if someone wants to create uh, a, a rewilding, a, a rewilder space and they've got their eye on a space which looks like a bit of a, unused kind of yeah wasteland so yeah that's a really really good question so i think you're right like the first thing is to contact the landowners who are usually the local authorities and find out what they're what they're going to what their plans are with with that land but what we found as the orchard project is that uh councils really really want orchards planted because they you know they're of all the things i've just mentioned you know they're bringing people um to use green spaces and improving biodiversity so i think the, the first thing is to check check with your you know landowner if there is a bit of disused space um but and then contact us as uh, we are really interested to hear from people who'd like to establish more community orchards um but in a very kind of you know on a in a personal way there for example today we're giving out millions of wild wildflower seeds and, and wildflower plants there's always ways to increase biodiversity in your where you live even if it's on a window box you know it doesn't doesn't have to be you don't have to have a whole rewilding area in you know that you you, you yourself have created we can we all just need to work in little ways to, right. but to make a difference the smallest sort of space that you can make a, an orchard on you know, oh, yeah, so, Square is quite large. You could yeah, get yeah, orchards yeah. on there, but you know. <laughs> yeah, we can, I mean, it would be amazing to have orchards here permanently. But um, so community orchards are really small. They're, community orchards is five trees or more. So, you know, they're very tiny spaces. And we, we often work, you know, along um, grass strips uh, on the edge of uh, social housing or in primary schools where there's, you know, just a little bit of edge, uh, green space on the, around, the, around the playground. But it, it can be very, very small space. And, can uh, we can create orchards from? What about by the sides of roads? Because you've you've got often spaces by the sides of roads, or the you know the, the area in between lanes, or in roundabouts, that sort of thing. Yeah, I think 
Well, it's 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 something to be explored. I it's we try, we stray, don't try and plant too many fruit trees kind of directly on roads, just because the the fruits fall on cars and then create a bit of an issue. Um, and so, but there, I mean, London, for example, is, uh, it's got a huge amount of, of green space. I think something like 60% of London is actually green. I mean, it's incredible if you think about it in a, in a, you know, a major, major capital. Um, but yeah, there's, there's lots of little bits of, uh, spaces tucked away, which, uh, we can put back to nature. Let me ask you, and this, this is a pet peeve of mine. Um, and it's, it's a bit embarrassing, really, but I will I will <laughs> I will admit to it. Uh, I um, people that just convert their front garden into a car park. Okay, what can we do to stop this? I was thinking of getting a sandwich board made up, which uh, which says something like um, "car park with house attached" and, and putting it out <laughs> houses that I I feel are offenders. Do you, do you have any thoughts on this practice? Well, so, yeah, I think I, I wouldn't approve of that, I have to say. I mean, there are ways you can do it. You can soften up parking, you know, outside of houses. Um, so, you know, you can plant hedges along the along the sides. So you don't, it doesn't have to be all concrete. Um, you can you can plant, you know, things in in between where the car's going to going to be kind of low level, low level plants. And I guess I mean, what would I say about this? I would encourage everyone not to have cars, really. Um, <laughs> And then you can turn your your driveway into a beautiful garden. You know, we don't we we've got we've got to, we've got to stop using so many cars. I, I'm very two faced about this because I do have a car and I do put it on my front drive, but there's only just space for it because it because of the trees and the bushes, it kind of gets scratched by the, uh, oh, okay. by, the by the the greenery. All right, so let's go back to Trafalgar Square. You, yeah. You've got fruit trees there at the minute, brought in especially. That, yes, it's being created overnight. I mean, it is, it, it's, it, it's like, it is amazing that it's just, it just, they, some, it was like secret elves came here over the, over the night and created this amazing garden. There so are the, trees, there are secret elves? Are, are, is there, are there that, any secret Morris men? Is there any wassailing going on? <laughs> no, there's no wassailing. Do you know about wassailing? <laughs> Did Tell you say wassailing? about wassailing. Oh well, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. So, what sailing is? is well, you're really, the orchard project. You must know. I know. Well, well, I don't. Not many people know about it. It's basically it's a kind of a very ancient tradition that used to happen in orchards, and it's something that we do in our orchards. And so, basically, it's just like a big party, basically. And uh, you drink lots of cider. You toast the trees. Um, you can um, dress up. Um, but the idea is that you 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 make a lot of noise and partying in kind of dead of winter in the orchards to uh to generate a good harvest for the year to come so it's, it's it's i personally find it a really lovely thing to do in the middle of winter you're kind of thinking about when when the harvest is coming and it just gives you a bit of a lift and it does involve morris men which because i'm a bit well, old, I thoroughly approve of <laughs> it can involve morris but we've done some very urban ones um which have been like quite quite punky you know quite hardcore like no it's not it's they're not well, morris a hard men, rock whistle yeah so yeah like really really like big big bonfires made up with pallets and you know like proper urban wassails okay all right um i i, I like the sound of that I, li I like things how they kind of change and progress as time yeah. moves on so how how long is the trafalgar square thing happening can people get down there um how, how long have they got yeah it's just today um, but all all of the plants are going to be rehomed at, at the end of the day. And if you come down today, you can get yourself some free seeds and plants. Okay, that sounds like a good. Unfortunately, this show is going to come out at the end of today. So oh, people, people okay. that are going to listen to this, 
tell us how we can all get involved right, if you want to right. do a bit of rewilding <laughs> yeah, yeah, on okay. our own. So, um, so go head over to the bigwild.co.uk. Um, lots of information on there. And at the Orchard Project ourselves, we're going to be running uh, lots of events in orchards this year. Um, so please check out, check us out on uh, through the big big rewilds. Um, come along and do you know experience the beauty of uh, being in an urban orchard. Okay, that sounds. And last piece of advice: Should I do some gorilla planting down my street, or will I get in trouble? Oh well, I would say yes, but you didn't hear it from me. <laughs> okay. Look, it, it sounds like Trafalgar Square is great fun at the moment. So uh, move back and, uh, and enjoy it. Thanks for Jane. Great. Sorry, I didn't hear that. It's quite noisy here. So that yeah, it, it sounds like there's a bit of a party in the background. I just said it is. It's really noisy. And uh, have some fun. Thanks so much. Lovely to speak to you. My guests on this week's show, and they were nutritional therapist Amanda Hamilton and Kath Rosen, CEO of the Orchard Project. And of course, thank you to you for listening. That was the Relax Back UK show with me, Mike Dill. Thank you for listening, and please do join us again next time. <laughs>